So welcome to the show. Have something gross. <laughs> I don't think Jerry's ever going to give us something gross. Though. He might, though. I wouldn't put it past good. him. Oh, Honestly, it's like a large bag of anchovies. But like when I was in Korea, those anchovies were dope. I'm, I'm not an anchovy person. I really don't want to eat those the larvae. Oh yeah. Oh, what Nick? That's what yeah, yeah. Nick I was like, was Brandon didn't about. talk about that. He talked about Is eating Brandon like, or Nick? snail. So, I think it was Nick. Nick. Oh, I think I the can, the can of snail. Yeah, I guess. I don't this is gonna be a good intro to the podcast. We always have to talk a lot, <laughs> and then that's how we get. And this stuff is what he puts. That's in how we the generate intro. more. Content. This is just randomly talking about stuff. That's how we do content here, uh, just like media. But hey, welcome. <laughs> You're listening to the John Chi Show, hosted by three Korean American adoptees, diving headfirst into what it means to be adopted Korean American and more. And now, here's your host. Nathan, Patrick, and KJ. Welcome to the John Chi Show. This is episode nine. My name is Nathan. <laughs> I'm Patrick. My name is KJ. Five two JK. That's a white rapper that I don't want to be colluded with. <laughs> it's, fine. it's fine. Moving on.com. And we are here, back uh, back on our show with uh, episode nine, as I just said, and we are interviewing a great guest today that we found online that one of us knows already. Dude, this is getting creepier and creepier. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know it was, it was going, going creepy, nice. but you brought I it back to normal. On, we already knew her. One of us already knew who she was. It was fun. I, I I lost what we were supposed to be talking about. I was like, oh, yes, we're supposed to go back to what Rust. John Chi Throw means. To, yeah. <sighs> yes. Okay. So what does John Chi mean, KJ? <laughs> All right. So here's the deal. <laughs> I pop it into Google Translate. John Chi says feast. And then I add some verb endings, and it was like party. And then I almost never got celebration, but we're doing all three. We're throwing a party. We're yeah. occasionally feasting. We're always celebrating our korean american adoptee identity and really just like all of the things that make us who we are yep very nice <laughs> nicely said <laughs> i i concur <laughs> i was just about to say that that's do you awesome. concur nice. why didn't i just concur i concur to everything you just said who are we talking to today nathan You're, oh well uh, I was gonna. I, you should do my, that because I was gonna. My friend, think. my new, my new, but feels like old friend, Liat Shapiro is here with us today on episode nine. Liat shares with us her adoption story about growing up the eldest of five Korean adoptees in the Boston area. Talks about ho- being homeschooled and developing her own curriculum. Her time at Brandeis uh, University, and then uh, her work with Coom. Uh, a really, really cool nonprofit organization here that helps Korean orphans over in Korea. But you got to stick around to find out more about that. This is a really great conversation. I was uh, really happy to have Liat on the show. And later, we do try mystery item number two. It is cylindrical, and I'm not going to give any more away because I feel like it gives <laughs> a lot of it away right there. Uh, it's carbonated. It's co- Yes, it's, uh, it was, it was uh, a surprise for sure. It was a I like real it. surprise drink. Sure. <laughs> it was refreshing. So, thank you for tuning in and continuing to listen and support the show. We really hope you enjoy this interview. Uh, here is that going roll clip. See, it's weird closing it, right? Yeah, it is sometimes. You're I like, thought I had here? a good one, and then I was like, I've already messed it up. <laughs> I'm just going to say words and roll just slide out of the screen. And do the thing. <laughs> 
Yeah, so <laughs> Patrick is interviewing. It. Yeah, so I got it. I got it. Liat, thank you for coming on to the show today. How are you doing? I am doing well. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. You're my friend, and I wanted to have you on because you're a super interesting person, and that's what we're going to find out today. I'm excited to find that out. <laughs> and I'm excited to meet Patrick's friends because I didn't know that he had friends until just this moment. <laughs> Well, because of the pandemic, we're kind of internet friends, so I don't... Eh, it's a, it's real. It's still real. <laughs> I still cl- classify it as real. Okay, so we're just going to jump right in. Um, yeah, tell us a little bit about, and our audience, a little bit about your adoption story and kind of coming to your, to America, coming to Boston, and then uh, growing up as well. Sure. So I was born in Pyeongtaek, South Korea. I was adopted at six months and was raised in the Boston area. Not Boston proper, but in Arlington, which is about 20 minutes away from Cambridge. So I consider it the city. And considering that 40 minutes out of the city is also considered Metro Boston, I think it's totally fair for me to say that I live in Boston. (laughs) Um, I am the eldest of five children. All of us are Korean adoptees and none of us are biologically related. Three of us do have the same last name, Kim, but I think that you can just, you know, throw that to fate and the fact that. (laughs) A lot of people are called Kim. In Korea. Yeah, Kim is like the it's like Smith. So or exactly. Johnston. Yeah, and the other one is my my last name is Lee. So that's the other half. Yes, I have. A, I don't know where Cho comes in. My Korean yeah. name is Cho Myeon, um, okay. and let's see where was I? Yeah, so I'm the eldest of five children. I was homeschooled from kindergarten up through college. I attended Brandeis University for the first two and a half years, and then I transferred in the middle of my junior year, which I do not recommend doing to anybody, but I did it. (laughs) And I got my degree in linguistics from the University of Massachusetts. I have a very positive relationship with adoption, but being, you know, the eldest of five cats, I think it is safe for me to say that my family has seen pretty much like the entire spectrum when it comes to personal relationships with adoption. So from very positive me, um, I absolutely uh, celebrate my adoption. I think that it's honestly the best thing that ever could have happened to me. And then, you know, I've seen my siblings walk through a lot of challenges that I personally never faced, including suicidal ideations. So we kind of have seen the whole range of things, and I would like to think that that puts me in a space where I'm able to better understand, um, you know, the two sides of adoption, the two sides of the coin. That's a summary. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great great summary. summary. Yeah. Yeah. I think something that's really interesting is not only the fact that your parents adopted not one, not two, but five children, but all from Korea specifically. Um, was they, have they ever talked about that, that their reasoning behind only adopting Korean kids? I know that I feel like I see a lot of adoptive families have a lot of mixed race because they adopt from multiple different countries. Uh, I didn't know if they had any ties or connections to Korea or if you could speak to that. Yeah, I can a little bit. When they first were looking into adoption, they asked around, they did their research and there was an adoption agency based in Pennsylvania. And they found the people there very easy to work with, very transparent. And so they adopted me. And then they were looking into adopting more children. And they ended up going with the same agency. So essentially what they did was they just continued adopting through that agency until they hit South Korea's limit for one couple's 
like the number of children that one couple could adopt. And that limit at the time was five children. So they kind of just went up until they hit the limit. And then they were considering adopting, but it would have to be from another country. I can remember very clearly um, my parents talking about the possibility of adopting from, I think it was Uganda or um, Central America. And they have finally came to the decision that they wouldn't adopt from any of those countries just because they felt in order to provide a an environment where that child could thrive, they would need to adopt a couple of children from that country. Just because, you know, one of the reasons why they adopted from Korea was to keep, for lack of better words, to keep consistency, you know, so that we would all you know, we would be in a, a little community where we all looked alike and we had the same heritage. That's funny. My parents and I just talked about that uh, recently, too, because they adopted my sister first from Korea and then they adopted me. And that that pair of Korean adoptees was something that we could relate to and, and had as kind of that connection. So I, that's a, glad to hear that that's a thing that other families have thought about as well. So did it really... Did... Was it really, I don't know the right word to describe it. I want to say empowering, but um, growing up with those five siblings adopted from Korea, did you feel that kind of sense of community? I know you talked about earlier having a good relationship with your family for the most part, uh, obviously having went through trials and tribulations, but um, just wondering, you know, did you feel that sense of community in your group? And then did that grow as you guys grew up in your town to, to involve other adoptees or how did your circle grow from that point? We're all very close in age. So I am 23 and the youngest is 17 and we have very, very different personalities. And so when we were growing up, my parents gave us very wide latitude in terms of exploring our Korean heritage. I was sent to Korean school from ages six to eight, so I learned how to read and write Hangul. I was pulled from Korean school to pursue music after that. Not my parents didn't decide that I would pursue music. I was the one who decided <laughs> you that I wanted to. <laughs> no. <laughs> and they were like, "Do you want to go to music classes on Saturday? Or do you want to go to Korean school?" And I wanted to go to music classes. Uh, just to clarify. <laughs> so, uh, my siblings, on the other hand their interest in Korea was ranging from like absolutely nothing when we were younger to um, being interested in the food, right? So my brothers, they really weren't interested in Korea. Even after our 2013 trip, in 2013, we went to Korea as a family. Uh, my youngest sister was old enough to remember you know, going back and she has the memories. And that was really why we were waiting. We were waiting for a time when she could also remember, even if it was just, you know, it was cold and we ate food or whatever. Um, so we went there as a family in 2013. And even after that, my two brothers weren't that interested in exploring their Korean heritage. So I would say that growing up, we were also all homeschooled growing up. And then once we hit high school, the decision was left to us, you know, as to whether or not we wanted to remain homeschooled or um, attend public school. And we all chose different paths as well. But all of that to say, um, growing up, it was more just, we had one another, we looked like one another. And so any racist people that we encountered, we kind of just dealt with it collectively, just because we were always out together. Um, if someone said something racist to us, we all got our, one another's backs, right? And even then, just the way we approached racism, I, I'm not really sure how diverse our town was growing up. I really don't know. I know that it is it is pretty diverse now, probably because we're in such close proximity to the city, right? So 
that would make sense. Um, But the way he dealt with racism was kind of giving an eye for an eye in a sense. You know, if people were like, oh, why are your eyes so small? Our response was, I don't know why your eyes so big. So we did things like that. That's what I do. Clap back. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was like, yo, why are you asking us all these rude questions? I mean, if you're taking it to that level, then, you know, we're not going to be rude about it, but we will match that that energy level, so to speak, right? And so I think because of that, a lot of us, when we encounter racism now, you know, when we look back on our childhood, that's when we start to realize, oh, okay, so there actually were racist people in our life. We just dealt with it in a completely different manner than we probably would now. And I would say that that was a healthy way for us because we were all together, because we all had one another's backs. You know, it was a healthy way for us to deal with something like that. And our parents did a very good job of um, speaking to us about, you know, some people say this because of that, but they always approached it from these people could actually be genuinely curious or they could be ignorant or they could actually be wanting to be mean. That was kind of how they phrased it. Um, and so I would say, you know, the heritage, exploring our heritage, that varied. Our interactions with racism also um, were varied, but we dealt with it all collectively when we were outside. Individually, I can't really speak to that, um, but I would say that, you know, growing up, we had a very happy childhood. Um, we all enjoyed one another's uh, presence. And for, you know, for the most part, um, it was individual exploration later on in life. I guess that's what I'm trying to say to answer your question. <laughs> so uh, something that you said, I'm curious, you said, um, you know, like when you were younger and some person was being ignorant or whatever asked a, whether it was well-meaning or hurtful question about like, why are your eyes so small or whatever, you just like hold the mirror up to them and be like, why are your eyes so big? Uh, but you seem to say that like, that was how you handled it then. Um, and that's, implying that's not how you handle it now. So what uh, has been the shift for how you handle that now? Um, and what caused the shift? Well, I think as a 23-year-old, uh, it wouldn't be very mature for me to just ask them why their eyes are so big. And so I think that's part of it, just the fact that I grew up and realized that there are ways to better engage in conversation with people, regardless of their intentions. Um, I would also say that, you know, growing up in a racially charged world, Um, as you get older, you're able to understand the nuances, right? And you're able to understand uh, just how people are coming from completely different ways of thinking. And so I think for me, one of the reasons why I don't just hold up a mirror is because I really do want to try and understand where they're coming from. You know, if they ask me a question like, oh, are you from the North and the South? And their tone of voice is very much, I'm trying to poke you right now. Um, Then I won't engage, right? Whereas if they were genuinely asking it, um, whether that's because they are truly interested, you know, maybe they knew somebody from North Korea or they're just ignorant and they think it's funny, you know, that might be a time for me to give some what I like to call gentle education, just quietly and nicely <laughs> explain to them the significance of their words. Uh, but I think that my approach is more trying to understand where they're coming from. Um, whereas when I was younger, it was more of, a, I don't really want to deal with this. So I'm just going to do what I've always done, which is just reflect it back to you. Solid. I uh, generally never know whether or not I'm going to have the patience to try to deal with someone. <laughs> so a lot of times I'm just like, well, why are you like this? And then it's fine. But also I like for me, like I have a relationship with most, most of the people who will say those things. So like, I know that they're not like 
being super mean hearted about it. So I just also equally am like, well, here's how it feels when you get asked that question. Cause how many white people ask other white people, Hey, why are your eyes look like that? So you talked about being to kind of bring it back a little bit, talked about all of you guys were homeschooled and it seems like your parents, uh, you wrote in your, in your guest form about them both having went to MIT, um, really strongly pushing and supporting you guys in education. How did you go from being in homeschool and creating your own curriculum to linguistics at uh, Brandeis? And, you know, what was that journey like for you, not only as an adopted person, but just as a person in general? Like, what what, what is that was the experience like? You know, one of the homeschooling stereotypes is that we aren't social or we aren't socialized or we aren't given the opportunity to socialize with people. And I have a lot against that stereotype because although it's true in some cases, my parents were very good at opening up opportunities for us. And that's something that I really appreciate about my parents' parenting style in general, just always willing to, okay, what do you want to do? You know, and so for me, the transition to university was less, oh, I need to learn how to interact with people and I need to understand how to hit deadlines as it was just managing time, managing time and then dealing with the consequences of not putting away distractions. So for me, I think it was more the typical college, you know, time to grow up and um, manage your time well. You know, you're not in high school anymore. You're really working toward a career. You're working towards something you know, greater than what you've really honestly ever worked toward before. And so that was the mindset switch, I think, was what was the most difficult for me. So with going to college then out of that, was that when you first started to get more involved in the adoptee community? Um, I know just from our experience working together a little bit over the summer, um, I know that you do a lot of stuff and you do a lot of things and in that realm and others. So I was just wondering kind of how that journey started for you um, and has led you to kind of where you're at now. So when I was younger, my parents took me to a couple of events hosted for Korean adoptees. So I did know a couple of Korean adoptees, but I never really maintained contact with them. In 2015, I went to Korea to study abroad for six weeks. It was a summer program. And when I came back, yeah, it was it was a great experience living there in Seoul. I lived with a host family who I'm still in communication with. And I think that really mm, piqued my interest in the Korean adoptee community. But at the time, the Korean adoptee community was mostly Facebook groups. And they also had a um, 18 year old I want to say age minimum for a lot of the groups. Mm, And so I joined a couple of them and then I didn't really like what was going on there. Just there's a lot of drama. There was a lot of negativity and it's not necessarily that that stuff shouldn't be there because it's an integral part of any community. Right. And it should be, people should be allowed to speak and have their voice and discuss. But for me at the time, I wasn't at the stage where I could emotionally and mentally filter that out. And so I decided to just, you know, leave all of the Facebook groups. There are a couple of adoptees who I had connected with and I stayed in contact with them um, over Facebook. And they have been incredible sources of wisdom and light in my life. So I'm very grateful for that handful that really, you know, not necessarily took me under their wing, but they were willing to treat me as a little sister and, you know, teach me things, not necessarily about being a Korean adoptee, because I think for most of my life, I've been fairly okay with my identity as a Korean American, as an adoptee. It was kind of just like, yeah, I might look different, but at the same time, it doesn't really matter. That was my 
that was my general outlook on life. Just you either accept me for who I am or you don't. And if you don't, then we can try and work through that, especially if it's uh, indicative of a character, you know, flaw, then I'm willing to work through that. But if you don't like me just because you don't like me, then that's fine. You can, you know, just go ahead and live life that way. I'm going to go and live Thank life my you. own way. Yes. <laughs> exactly. And so, you know, I think my my initial introduction to the Korean adoptee community was a little bit jarring for me um, just because I heard a lot of the negative side of things. And as I had mentioned before, you know, my experience with adoption was mainly positive. Um, and at that time, my family hadn't yet gone through um, the situations that uh, we went through together. And so I kind of withdrew and I focused on other things that interested me. And I would say that, you know, I always wanted to give back to the Korean adoptee community. Uh, maybe not even the Korean adoptee community, maybe the community that I came from that was always on my heart and in my mind. But I kind of just assumed that if that door were to open in the future, it would open and I would be able to, you know, like basically that path would be made clear. Um, and back then it really wasn't. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to just not worry about that. And if people want to talk to me about adoption, if other adoptees want to reach out and talk to me, that's totally fine. But I'm just going to continue living my life as it is, you know, where adoption is part of my identity, but not like number one, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I that's something we some talked that... about on the show. Oh, go ahead, Nathan. I was just going to say, I wonder if some of the negativity, I, I kind of agree that some of the Facebook groups that I've seen too have a lot of uh, drama, like you would say. And that's, I don't know if that's just because it's Facebook. <laughs> I'm kind of curious on that. I, I think a large if, part of it is that it's Facebook. Yeah. I mean, I, I hate to, to think, I mean, before Facebook, I was on MySpace and I don't think there was, you know, there might've been, there might've been groups. <laughs> they were just like posting on a bulletin board. Yeah. I mean, I was just listening <laughs> to music and stuff on MySpace. So, um, uh, not to date myself, but yeah. And so I, I'm just curious. We're on, not ages on, on the uh, show, Nathan. We sorry, wanted sorry. Hey, if you want me to go even further, I was on Friendster. How about that? Huh? You heard of Friendster? I've only heard of Friendster. I think, yeah, I think somebody, I was like, oh, what is this? And then. I've only heard whispers uh, of this Friendster. Okay. Yeah. Any, any, anywho. <laughs> That's, uh, so I'm just, I, I love Facebook, but I'm, I'm always wondering is, is, uh, if there's a better you know, social media platform for adoptees and uh, that that would be more positive and more of a, a good community. Um, We're like working to find on that. it. <laughs> oh, is that a plug? <laughs> yes. No, it's just, it's just a little tease. We're working on it. <laughs> I mean, my spoiler. I mean, yes. Yeah. To be continued. It's in the works. <laughs> so I guess to kind of go off of that, uh, Leah, what do you think? To kind of pose that question to you, what do you think is, what do you think in the adoptee community, especially because you have gotten more involved and done more things and saw from a bird's eye view and a, and a bystander view of kind of things that are going on, what do you think it's where our communities are missing or what do you think that's there already that we could shore up or what can we add now that would provide value, uh, not even for Korean adoptees, but for all adoptees? What, what, in your opinion, kind of what do you think that looks like? This would have been a good question to have prepped me on before, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> nope. He just... No, I'd always just throw it out. There's no... I, I Yeah. <laughs> I love it and I hate it at the same time. Um, it's such a big question. It is a big question. But I mean, it's not to... Ca I'm not trying to catch people off guard. I think it's just something <laughs> that we don't think about 
in general. I think as adoptees, yeah. in terms of providing value to our own community, we don't think about what we've seen already and the things that we've already seen. We just generalize it, I think. And that's why I've wanted to ask the question. You know, I would probably not like it if somebody asked me because I don't know if I would have <laughs> a good, succinct answer on what it is I think that we're missing. I could just tell you maybe little bits and pieces that I think and then could I maybe could form edit a foundation. And, make it succinct. Ooh, <laughs> and then I would just tell you, you're doing it. It's called and the show. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think that, and this is kind of the outlook I take on any community that I'm involved in. And all communities have their contentions and their strifes, right? I think for a community that is, as we mentioned, primarily, you know, based in Facebook, on Facebook, at Facebook. I don't know the within, right preposition. Within, within yes, okay. Yes. <laughs> within Facebook, I I think that what we're seeing is a lot of echo chamber. Um, a lot of things just flying around. Emotions can escalate very quickly, and I think in any situation where emotions are very high, the key or my parents, anyway, they were the ones who taught me that a very important ingredient in any situation like that is compassion and empathy. To think very carefully before you say anything and to think about it from the other person's perspective. And so for me, when I look at the Korean adoptee community, when I look at just, you know, you look, for example, at the birth family spectrum, the birth family search spectrum, you have people who have found their families, amazing stories, right? And then you have people who have had horrible experiences and you put those people in the same room and some of the people are able to get along well with people regardless of what spec side of the spectrum they're on. And then some people just really cannot deal with the emotional differences and whatever other kind of differences. And that turns into unnecessary tension and unnecessary hate, right? And so, although it's very difficult, I think that for us, it's important to realize that at the end of the day, we really are one community, regardless of where we are on any spectrum, right? We're all a community and we all need to work together. And the only way to get past differences and get through differences is understanding that everybody needs compassion, not only, you know, other people, but also ourselves. And so I feel as if, if we had a revolving door of compassion and love where people are giving compassion and love and they're also receiving compassion and love, that that would help the situation in general, you know, and then we can not only encourage help and support fellow CADs and whatever endeavors they have, but we can also take challenges and grow from, you know, criticism or feedback that they might give to us. And hopefully, you know, in the future, we'll all be able to get to that point where we're giving and we're taking in a way that is, you know, beneficial to everybody. Yeah, it's great. I mean, everybody has a different story. Everyone has a different circumstance. Everyone comes into it with different mindset, but uh, that compassion that you're saying is, is very true. If everyone can, can just understand that there are multiple stories and that it, nothing is right or wrong and your story doesn't affect my story and, and everyone can just be their own person and live together and be happy. That, that would be great. That's uh, um, something hopefully that we are trying to do here on the show is that, you know, we can make sure that everyone hears all these different stories and either understands them or, moves on and listens to a different story. Yeah, it's interesting. So, um, you know, as a lot of things have been moving online during this period, I find that 
uh, at least for the people that I work with and the people that I interact with, our mental conception of where we are and the internet isn't very strong or a mental image of that. Um, and I work for a church. So we're looking at like analytics and seeing, you know, generally who comes to our service online. And it's like, from what the analytics tell us, you know, you can extrapolate out and you, it's like mostly women 65 and older. And so like you think about, you know, when you're on stage and you're able to see out into the the congregation, you can see people of all ages and uh, all backgrounds and things like that. But with the internet, it's really hard to conceptualize that same sense of room. So it's, um, it's interesting just hearing you uh, really eloquently describe the spectrum of experiences. And I think that our natural tendency as human beings is to clump with like-minded people. And maybe the, um, the, the downfall of Facebook groups is there aren't subgroups in a, in a way that is helpful. Like we, a Facebook group is essentially a big room, right? That we're all in. And then we have to figure out, okay, uh, I need to be able to navigate and like find my people, but everybody has a bullhorn. So I'm like, at some point I have to try to ignore someone and then I have to like find my people, but everybody's yelling and it's super loud. So if there were just some walls or some dividers just to create little subsections and safe spaces so that, you know, in the, the midst of trying to grow in compassion, if you find yourself uh, at a place of compassion fatigue, you can go and rest and, and recharge and then kind of re-engage with the community again. So um, yeah, I really love what you describe. I think that is a, um, a really beautiful thing to aim for um, and also help me think about building a, a good community. Because I think Instagram is the same, you know, like you make a post and then discussion lives on in the comments, but it's still just a room and nobody has any real sense of like splitting off in a way that is um, super helpful. So get on it, internet, make things better. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why the mayor of the internet doesn't listen to us. Jeez. <laughs> Because he's on there, <laughs> just like everyone else. Um. So yeah, really, really well, well said, Liat. Talking about compassion and love, though, and that message, I want to move to your work with Kekum. I wonder, I wanted you to uh, explain to our audience what that is and what you've been doing with them, and how. Yeah, just we'll go with that. Sure. So I serve on the board of directors for a U.S.-based nonprofit called the Korean Kids and Orphanage Outreach Mission. Um. It's so funny that you pronounced it Kekum, Patrick, because everybody <laughs> pronounces it like that. Um, the acronym is actually KUM. It stands for, or rather, it, it is the word dream in Korean. Uh, my brothers always say Kekum, though. They're like, yeah, you work for Kekum, Kekum, Kekum. It's hilarious. But anyway, I digress. Um, <laughs> we are my a apologies. nonprofit. No, you are totally fine. You fit right in with my brothers, so it's okay. You're the oldest one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll take it. Okay. Uh, we are a nonprofit dedicated to raising awareness for students who are considered at risk, meaning they are growing up in the South Korean welfare system. And we support them financially through scholarships that fund educational opportunities, as well as hosting other events. So our largest funds are the preschool and college funds, and that supports preschoolers and college students. The reason why we focus on the bookends of that educational spectrum is because those are the two age ranges that the South Korean government really doesn't provide any extra support for. In general, most of the welfare system institutions, so the children's homes, 
they are supported by the government, but preschoolers and college students generally aren't given as much attention, so to speak. So we provide scholarships for that, and we also host things such as holiday parties. We send some of our boys to a soccer camp, girls to an arts camp. We've also hosted um, an English language immersion program. I actually ran that two summers ago in 2018. I served as Coombs intern and I went to Korea for two weeks. One of the weeks was just, you know, personal travel. The second week was running the English language camp. And so we had 10 students come up to Seoul from Gumi, which is a city in the south of Korea. And we talked as much English as we possibly could, talked, we spoke as much English as we possibly could. Um, you know, they engaged in activities that had them speaking to foreigners in English, right? And it was just so amazing to see the improvements that they made in those four days, just the confidence that they received from doing something that they otherwise never would have been able to was an absolute blessing and privilege for me to participate in. I am currently working on our volunteer program. Um, there's an intern that I'm also working with. So I'm the intern slash volunteer coordinator. It's not really an official title, but that's what I do. Um, I also do a lot of fundraising for the organization as well, because we are a virtual board of directors. Um, we host virtual fundraisers. We have usually two to three large fundraisers every single year. And then we rely on, you know, birthday fundraisers via Facebook, personal fundraisers. We have a lot of longtime donors um, who just consistently give and give. And it's absolutely incredible to see the love that we have um, been able to share with these children. Just recently, we were able to raise some money to celebrate Coombe's 13th birthday and they celebrated with these really fancy Baskin Robbins cakes. I don't know, Baskin Robbins in America, man, they're, they need to step up their game because go to our Instagram, which is KoreanKid07, and you'll see some of the cakes that they have. It's it's out of this world. Anyway, you know, so we do things like that where um, we fundraise for our birthday or we fundraise for Giving Tuesday. And then those funds, you know, go toward um, providing opportunities for the children that they wouldn't have, whether that be educational, such as the camps, or just, you know, chicken, fried chicken parties. We've done that before. Uh, we also did, you know, a party where they ate crabs. And it's just amazing because these children, you know, they're living in very loving environments. The three children's homes that we support, their, their systems of operation, so to speak, are different from a lot of the welfare institutions in Korea. Um, it's very family oriented. So there are houses of, you know, eight to nine children and they have a house mother and then the house mothers rotate within, um, you know, the boy's home or the girl's home. So everybody has a umma, a mother, and then an emo or como, so an aunt. And it's just a very familial atmosphere, right? And that's the reason why we support those three those three children's homes specifically because we know that those children are being raised in a very loving and nurturing environment. So that's a little bit of background about what we do. That's awesome. Yeah, that's cool. How many kids are involved? About You said 10 came up for the, the thing last year, but or a couple of years ago. Yeah, so I think in total, I want to say that over the three children's homes that we support, 282 children, I think. Wow. wow. There wow. is a, a children's home that is for that that serves um children and young adults with special needs and uh they have 143 children right now we've had a couple of new 
preschoolers come in. So the numbers are always increasing, which is as a Korean adoptee, that's incredibly sad. Um, just knowing that, you know, once you enter a children's home, there is very little chance that you'll be adopted out. Um, just because domestic adoption really isn't a thing in Korea. And, you know, it's hard. It's hard work for me, especially as an adoptee, just because of that background and knowing that that very well could have been me. You know, I could have been the one in that home. And actually, this sounds so shallow, but today, today I posted on Instagram um, on my story and it was a picture of some of the girls, you know, eating the cake and having fun. and. I was just sharing with the people who follow me on Instagram. Um, I was like, you know, one of the reasons why I chose to get involved with Kum is because of my identity as a Korean adoptee. Um, I very well could have been one of those girls. You know, I could have been the one growing up in the children's home, eating cake that was supported or provided by, you know, really kind, but so incredibly random Americans. But... <laughs> I'm one of those random Americans, you know, and it's it's incredible to me that I've been put in this position where I'm here in the United States. I have all of these opportunities. And for me, working with Kum is really the personal mission that I have is to give back. Right. And that's what I say through all of my fundraisers, whenever I'm talking to people about why I'm involved in this, because people ask me all the time, you know, why are you involved with this organization? Um, it's because I want to go back to the community that I came from. And I see that as my own personal mission, you know, whether it's working with Kum on the board of directors or, you know, working indirectly with Kum, if I'm someday no longer on the board of directors, however life, you know, wherever life takes me, just um, being able to, to work in a position that gives back to the community in such a tangible way. And then not only giving back myself, um, but also educating people and raising awareness, you know, of the situation that is happening in Korea for um, people who live in America. Because I think a lot of people have, they don't really think about the, the children in the welfare system in Korea because Korea is such an industrialized nation. You know, we got K-pop, we got all of this stuff, but there are children without voices. And so that's, um, you know, what we're working toward. We're working toward not only supporting those children, but also raising awareness oh my goodness the baby i'm sorry i love babies <laughs> <laughs> we have a special guest so cute it's okay we're just doing audio so um yeah i love that i just recently put something on my story that was like have you thought about what your non-adopted self would be doing right now and at least for me anytime i would let my mind wander and think about like what would the you know if i had stayed in my family it's always really happy because why would you have a, <laughs> why would you daydream, you know, and make it really sad. But Goom really, I think, puts it in reality for me, you know, if I wasn't adopted uh, or wasn't put up for adoption or anything like that, that this could just as easily have been my way forward. That super makes sense. Like, I, of course, understand why you would want to be um, involved in this, why that like calls really deeply at your heart. That's really cool. And I'm really glad that you were on the show to so that I could learn about it. What would be something that you would tell people now, you know, like, like, like you said, we as Americans or the majority of America don't think about, you know, what these Korean kids and children are going through in the welfare system in Korea. Um, what would you say, what would, what would be one piece of advice or something that you would ask of, of us to, to look at and to, to think about uh, in terms of that? 
you know, obviously it's going to be more resonant within our own community, but, you know, just for the everyday average person, you know, what can they do? The first answer that came to mind was give to Kum. Yeah. (laughs) Um, That's the most honest answer. Yeah. In our fundraising. But I would say beyond that, if I may extend that, you know, beyond how you can support Kum, I think that one of the things I've been realizing just because of the pandemic and everything that's been going on and we're all stuck online is the importance of and the opportunity that has been presented to every single one of us to really think about what we're passionate about and run with it. Because I think we've all been given this opportunity where we, from time to time, have more free time than we otherwise would, right? We're all at home. Um, People have been going back to work, but at the same time, life isn't as it was before. And it's not as, you know, in Korean, there's this, this phrase, which is like quickly, quickly. And I feel as if in America, at least, our lives have slowed down somewhat because of the pandemic. And so whether, you know, our our passion is kum, kum is my passion. For other people, it's something different. You know, it could be children in a different country. It could be something that's not related to children at all. But one of the things that I, I always encourage people to do, and um, I think applies to anybody of any age, really, is to find that passion. And especially now, take advantage of it not take advantage of it, but rather use the position that you have in the world right now and do good. You know, take the time to really plug into something, to plug into a community and raise awareness. Even if it's just posting something on Instagram or sharing something on Facebook, you know, social media might seem shallow, but it is a good place to start. I found that to be the case and really try and find ways to get involved. So it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, being involved in the Korean adoptee community, being involved with Kum, being involved with another nonprofit or a podcast, whatever it might be. I think that that's really what the world needs, you know, for us to take hold of our passion and to change the world. And it's not necessarily even changing the world because I feel as if that's that's a concept that's so big that we easily get overwhelmed. Like, how, how am I supposed to change the world? I'm just one person, right? So the way I like to see it is more just work within your sphere of influence because everybody has a sphere of influence no matter who you are there are always people who look up to you there are always going to be people who don't like you um there are always going to be people who want to support you and i find that especially now a lot of people are more open to supporting other people and so i think that that's probably you know the thing that i would want to encourage everybody to do is just to take hold of something and to run with it and to run with it well change the world one person at a time even if it's yourself well said (laughs) very true start there Leah, you are just so well-spoken. I'm so glad that you came on the show. And I'm not trying to run you out of here because I have one more question to ask that's a little bit off topic of what we've been talking about so far, but I'm going to make you talk about it a little bit. So you touched on very briefly about how you got into music. Yeah. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about your musical career. Um I don't. I don't want to spoil it for them because I don't know if they know anything about it. But whoa, did you rap too? <laughs> no, no, no. No. I'm, I'm not. <laughs> no. no. I, I'm definitely. She's I'm actually not. Beyonce's ghost singer. You've heard of Ghost Rider? She's ghost singer. No, you and Patrick no. singing wet. Oh no! I think that Patrick would have to mute my track. Um... <laughs> I don't have a musical career, so I'm going to start off with that. All right. 
I'm not sure what Patrick is talking about in that regard. Um, I do play the piano and the harp, and I trained for several years to be a professional musician. Um, but that path was diverted um, due to an injury, and it was a genetic injury. You know, that was one of the times and I was like, you know, if I knew about this genetic thing, it would have been super helpful. Uh, but, you know, I don't have my birth mom's information, so great. Um, but basically, it was it's a, like a nerve thing um that just it's not going to go away uh you know it would have it would have required a surgery and my parents didn't want me to get the surgery at the time and so i ended up in academia which is not my forte but anyway back to the whole music thing um i play the piano and the harp honestly patrick i don't know what else you want me to say because there, there isn't any there, there is no musical <laughs> career <laughs> Well, you trained for several years, and you've done, and you've played some pretty cool places and stuff, and you played in some cool things. Um, and I don't know. I just think it's you still can play, and I guess that's kind of what I was getting at. But um, I just thought that was a, that was one other interesting piece of, of of your puzzle. And I don't know. I didn't know what you were going to share. I you shared that you played them and you've played them before, <laughs> and I'm sharing I mean, that you do still play now. So. Um, I do. I have some projects. There are a couple of projects coming up. Um, one of them will involve Korean adoptees. You know, because Patrick's a big bro, I guess I, I guess I should give him something. Um, <laughs> I am working with a composer who is a Korean adoptee, and he will be uh, writing a harp arrangement of Arirang, and the person who will be doing our track cover art is also a Korean adoptee, but we have no idea when that's going to be released because he doesn't know when he's going to have time to write it. I don't know when I'm going to have time to record it, but it's going to be out there at some point. And I think that will be a very personal and a very fun, uh, you know, project just because it's all Korean adoptees. And we are all going to be working on, you know, Arirang, which is one of possibly, you know, the most famous song to have ever been written. It's one of the, not to have been written in Korea. You know what? I'm really not good with words. I don't know what you're talking about when you said that I was eloquent earlier. Because like, you were, definitely not the and case. you are still. So. <laughs> but that is a project that will be coming up in the future to be announced at some point. Sounds really cool. <laughs> on the show, it sounds yeah. like sounds like you're gonna have to come back on and announce that uh, project that you got going on officially. Yep. Mm. Uh, what is your favorite era of music to play? Romantic. Okay. Favorite so, composer? Uh my favorite composer to play is probably Chopin. Okay. Yeah. Nathan gets down with Chopin. Yeah. I am a fan of Brahms. Uh, I like the the neo classicism yes. that he brings. Also, I'm working on a Brahms trio. So, oh yeah, nice. Oh wait, actually, this is uh, and mostly just for me, but I'm curious. Uh, so you were in Korean school, right? Uh, and then went to music, and then got to linguistics. Um, well, so two questions. I'll start with this one. What did you learn in Korean school besides the language? Because I've always wondered what they teach there. Yeah. So um, besides the language portion, we had electives. And one of the electives was ballet. So I did ballet. 
And then the other was elective... it different than American ballet? Like is Korean <laughs> ballet like a separate? Or you just like no, nah, I just took I just took ballet for funsies. <laughs> no, it it was it was classic, you know, okay, tutus great. and leotards and all of that stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then I also took a music elective, so I learned how to play the Korean flute, like the little ocarina thing. Yeah, kind of. Okay. I I honestly. I don't remember, and I lost my Korean flute a while ago. But you so know, like so I, I took ballet, fist? and I, <laughs> yeah, it was small. I okay, took yeah. ballet, and then you know the the Korean flute. So those are the two electives that they had that I participated in. They also had things like um, taekwondo. Uh, they had Korean traditional fan dance, things like oh. that. You know, the typical um, things that you might study in a hagwon. They had they had that at the at the Saturday Korean school that I went to. Cool. Um, okay, so then what brought you to like from Korean school to music and then jumping ahead however many years to linguistics? Like what was that pathway like for you? For me, um, being adopted, I'm uh, quote unquote the only musical one in the family. I'm certainly the only person in my family who's made music a profession. I'll say that. Um and my mom, at least, was always like, oh, well, you're so good at languages because you're good at music. So I didn't know. I don't hold a lot of weight in that statement. Um, but I was just curious if if part of your music interest and being adopted informed your choice in linguistics as an academic career or what that was like. Yes and no. Uh, very convoluted story about how I got to linguistics. Um, essentially, what happened was I've always loved learning languages. So... I learned Korean in Korean school, and then my mother spoke to me primarily in French um, for the first year and a half or so, and then my siblings came along, and that was just completely untenable. Um, so I also had a background in French. So Korean and French, I... Very similar languages. Very similar, <laughs> indeed. I, um, you know, I had early exposure to those languages, and so when I picked them back up in, uh, it would be, I guess, elementary, and then elementary for Korean... And then later on self-studying, but then for French, it was middle school through high school. Um, I very much enjoyed languages and I was interested in going into linguistics, but then I ended up wanting to go into neuroscience. So I actually started off as a neuroscience major at Brandeis. I was like, oh, this is way too difficult. STEM is not for me. And so I dropped down to the fake science, as linguistics is sometimes called. And I was approaching it from the perspective of I want to understand language acquisition. So how second language acquisition works, right? But Brandeis, they didn't have a lot of classes on second language acquisition. Um, and so I planned on studying that in graduate school, um, but I'm actually going into psychology. So... All right. Yes, the interest in language definitely, you know, was the impetus, I guess, not the impetus, was the motivation for studying linguistics. Um, but that has all gone up in smoke. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. See, and that in itself is an interesting story. That whole thing right there could have been the entire focus of the podcast. And that's how interesting you are. So I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep dousing you in praise. I don't know if that's the that's a good way to describe that. I'm gonna keep sh- I'm going to keep praising you in, in that way. <laughs> I couldn't think of a way that was, didn't sound terrible. So I'm just going to leave it at that. can you edit this part? Every single time. Oh, whoever edits. Yeah. Every single time, Patrick is like, 
you're so interesting. You can just edit that out. That would be perfect. Well, the, the best part is though, and like, I think this is why we all think that you're so eloquent is because Patrick is like, I want to praise you. And also my words have failed me. Right. So I, it's you just took him, all the words. It's just him floundering for like, I want to douse you in just like low key violent. <laughs> and for like, I want to stab you with praise. I want to. <laughs> just the, Patrick's my like, brain, how do I, no work, no how do I be nice? I don't remember. <laughs> I don't talk to enough people anymore. <laughs> hey, I was just laid up for a week, so uh, yeah, no, you're good. Actually, I was still talking to people, but with my fingers, and that's via message, not whatever you guys are thinking. <laughs> <laughs> you're the worst. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, okay, then we let's do. You can find out more about Coom, right? Uh, at all of the places on the internet. Liat, help us out. Where can we find out more about Coom? All right. So on Instagram, we are Korean Kids underscore zero seven. And then if you just search Korean Kids and Orphanage Outreach Mission on Facebook and Twitter, you can find us there. <laughs> Sorry, nice. I just thought that Robin got a hold of the mic and was pulling it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so that was cute. amazing. She is adorable, but it's left Nathan mute, so that's unfortunate. <laughs> I mean, it's probably I good because otherwise it'd just be baby noises all over the place. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> there, was, there we go, baby noises. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Perfect. So um, that's fantastic. Uh, we're gonna take a break, and when we come back, we will be drinking from mystery item number two, courtesy of producer Jerry. Uh, but we can tell that it's a can because um, he can't hide the shape of. Well, I mean, you could have actually if you worked harder. Could have put not. it in a box. He's a little. He's a little lazy. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. So we'll uh, we'll come back and check that out. Uh, yep. In Here's just a moment. Bye. <laughs> I'm so bad at transitions. You'd think after nine episodes I'd be a little bit better. But I'm not. That's all right. I'm like 0%. you start, you start super strong, and then yeah, yeah, yeah. Tails <laughs> off right. That's but that's me. Like I'm, I'm happy to start things, and then I need somebody else to maintain them in perpetuity because I, I got you. I don't have that kind of energy. <laughs> Let's jump in, Liat. You've got, you've got the drink, right? Yeah, we're good. We don't know what it is yet. We don't know yeah, what it we is have, either. We yeah, have no so. idea. So uh, it's a this mystery is... number two. Yes. Uh, welcome to the food portion. So we were given a mystery box of things from our producer, Jerry. Uh, and so today, this, I guess this is technically a two. Um, Jerry, not to like dog on your handwriting, but it, uh, it's like, it's the better part of a two, I guess. So we are going to, don't spoil it for us, but we're going we're gonna to jump in and figure out what it is we are drinking today. Here we go. Jerry, it's so tight. I mean, okay, Jerry, yay. your packaging is yay. very difficult. What is it? L- Lote Milkis. Milkis. <laughs> what? I, I have Milk actually is? seen these at uh, Costco. It's so. got to be Milkies, right? I don't know. Milkies? I'm not very good at pronunciation. I'm not going to lie. If you guys haven't I mean, found out on the show yet, I'm not good at that. If it's a Korean brand doing English, then it's probably anybody's <laughs> game. <laughs> well, I don't like the way Milkis comes out of my mouth. <laughs> That milk sounds is. terrible. It's milkisu. Yeah, so carbonated milkies. milk. Milkies. Refreshing yeah, milk and so yogurt the, flavor. This is what yeah. you have as well? Yes. Well, I actually have a different flavor because my H Mart ran out of the OG. So okay. mine is peach milkis, but peach. That sounds mm. better. See, she said milkis too. 
But it's mm. all right. Look. It is milkisu. I just oh, pronounce it the American way. <laughs> yes, the American way. Interesting. Milkisu. 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 Yeah. No caffeine. No preservatives. No corn syrup. And New feeling lady. of soda beverage. What's up with the uh, Mary Poppins on the front? Look at that. Oh, <laughs> dropping in on that banana, banana? the moon. <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand. Okay. Now that sounds good. If this was banana flavored, oh, I'd be all about. This. All right, I'm gonna dive in. Yeah. So I'm gonna preface to by shake? saying that I am not a big milk fan. I don't. I'm not lactose intolerant, but <laughs> okay, you just I don't, don't like, like milk, milk things. So oh. okay, good to know. And I feel like yogurt is milk already. Oh, so this is know. good. This is like a carbonated. You know, like those milk candies? Hmm. Maybe that's another Korean thing. I don't know. This is good. I'm into this. Milk oh. and yogurt flavor. Yeah. I'm feeling okay. it. It's really, so it's really sweet, too. I took a look mm-hmm. in, at the liquid, and it just looks like murky water. So <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and say that. I can't show. I'm going to do it. Okay, get the camera up. Yeah, there you go. That's what we got murky the other Murky waters. For. That looks wow. like murky water, doesn't it? Way yeah. to sell it. Way to sell it. But we're going to take a drink. I, I, It's sweeter than I expected. Yeah. And... I wouldn't say there's a flavor. I mean, it tastes like yogurt. It tastes like yogurt of. that's been mixed yeah. with pop and then put in a can. But a very sure. light pop, not, or not super carbonated. Sorry. Like it's not overly carbonated. Where I'm like, ugh, I'm gonna, you know, problems. Yeah. That's good. How is the peach flavor though? Does it taste like peach? Just peach yogurt? Kind of. I don't know. I I never associated it with yogurt. Oh. So what are you I'm associating it, it with? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Creamy soda. Okay. I this was actually one of the I went back to Korea in 2013 and Milkus was my brother's favorite drink and I didn't like it. I didn't Patrick like is it. I'm so excited that you said Milkus. <laughs> For the long <laughs> I'm going to switch it up now just to annoy him. Um, yes. Yeah. I didn't like it for the longest time, but um, I would finish my brother's drinks because he would always just not finish his food. And I started to like it because of that. So Interesting. I, I could definitely drink this Interesting. Again. I could drink okay. it again too. Yeah, yeah, I would love to have some more. And it's got no caffeine, no corn okay. syrup, no preservatives. But it's 130 calories per can. So, yeah, so is most of that. All right, let's yeah, see how like, it stands up to the chug test. It's because drink- it's got 30, <laughs> it, it's got 31 grams of sugar. That's why. <laughs> Does it really? Oh, dip. It's a lot of sugar. That's why Milk I said it's sweet. That's why, it, yeah, it tastes properly American. Does a body good. Wow. <laughs> oh, gosh. It made me think of the Fight Milk episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. If you've never Got seen milkus. it. Got <laughs> oh, Okay, yeah. That was good. I could actually drink I gotta those. be careful what I drink. Otherwise, I'm gonna spit take all over my new computer. It'd be terrible. I could drink I, more of these. Okay, Patrick, too, uh, why don't sugar. you go first? How many... Uh, milkies do you give this milkis? I'm giving it four mm. milkisus. Um, <laughs> that's pretty good. It was better than I expected, especially after looking yeah. at it. I was like, I don't know about this. I don't <laughs> drink murk water, but uh, I gave it a try. You know, I go down to down your good, local lake so and it's all it good. Four out yeah. of five. Four out of five. Um, yeah, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say the same. Four. I don't know what would take it to like four and a half or five. Five is a perfect product. For, I don't well, know. I'm what sure, we're they have other four and a half, but uh, maybe I want more carbonation. So, like, mm. I don't know. I drank a lot of soda when I was a kid, uh, and I drink less soda now. 
Um, but I, so I like, you know, Waterloo or LaCroix or things that have a lot of carbonation. So I think if this had more carbonation, it would take it next level, but as it is hmm. four out of five milkies. Yeah. I don't know. Liet? Um, yeah, four out of five, not four a five, five, but I don't know why. Have you had other flavors? Like you said, you've had more it there. So like what other flavors are there? Do you even know? Yeah, so there was there's peach, there's melon, like the green uh-huh. melon flavor, melona kind of thing. Ooh, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, strawberry. I think those are the only three that they had at the store. Oh, okay. Yes. Strawberry would be really good, I bet. I trust. I mean, if the I strawberry totally soju is anything to go by, I'm sure that strawberry. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Strawberry everything. Dope. Yeah, I, I'm going to give it four Mary Poppins as well. So <laughs> nice. That's not even a rating yeah. system. That's fine. But he broke <laughs> it. Now. He made his own. He's made. She's, she's happy. Perfect. She's floating down. She's on, <laughs> All right. she's on cloud banana. So, so <laughs> Lote, thanks for the drink. Also, Jerry, thanks for the drink. This is delicious. Yeah, it's tasty. Um, Good stuff. Okay, Liat, uh, if people want to see, hear more of you or interact with you more, where can they find you on the internet? Uh, I don't know. That's a good question. I didn't think about this. Do you have an Instagram or a website I, or a Twitter? I do have an Instagram. Yeah, it's um at l i a m e i y a h Leah Maya. You can reach out to the John Chi Show. <laughs> At John Chi Show on all social platforms. You can send us an email, John Chi Show at justlikemedia.com. Uh, you can find me at Milkis by Lote, JK. I'm actually at KJ Relke. You can find me at No Walk Photo on Instagram. You can find me at Patrick in the World on Instagram and nowhere else. <laughs> I, like, I like that your handles have just subtly gotten Patrick, smaller. More, the more episodes deep, you're like, you can find me at P.O. But I, eventually, we just have to bleep it. It's kind of ironic, yeah. too. It's like, you can find me, Patrick, in the world, but I'm nowhere else in the world except for I'm here. nowhere. Yep. Uh, <laughs> so thank for you for ears. watching. Thank you for yeah. listening. Uh, leave thank us you for being like. here. Um, yes, Liad, it was a great interview. Uh, that is all right <laughs> that is it i never know how to end these things end all right show. thank Done. you for listening watching <laughs> thanks for hanging out with us all right that was it great. okay